Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. So, uh, the lines from C.S. Lewis that are in our liturgy guide, I think, are, are really helpful and pretty disorienting to the ways we think about worship. Lewis says, worship works best when through long familiarity we don't have to think about it. As long as you notice and have to count the steps, you are not dancing, but only learning to dance. A good shoe is a shoe you don't notice. The perfect church service would be one we were almost unaware of. Our attention would have been on God. I'm super aware that we're doing the exact opposite of that this morning. <laughs> this is a massively clunky, what we're doing. We're pausing, we're explaining. The reason why it's clunky is because liturgy is intended not to be explained. You just do it. And contrary to our individualistic ideas of I'm supposed to understand everything and fill everything and own everything and decide at every moment whether or not I will participate depending on what I want, <laughs> liturgy uh, enters in and says, would you just put all that down and will you just be guided and will you just join in the voice of the faithful? And what we're doing here is... Um, I think it's, it is kind of funny when, uh, when we first started All Souls, and partly maybe because of the world that our church emerged out of, people thought what we were trying to do was to be really new and trendy. And um, I was like, man, that's the exact opposite of that. Um, what we're doing is, uh, is essentially following a, a general form of worship that the church, going back to our earliest records of the second and third century, and I don't mean exactly what we're doing, but I mean the general flow, that we are gathered by Christ, that we center around um, uh, the scriptures, that we respond to Christ in, in prayers that are spoken and silent and sung, and then we uh, hear the word proclaimed and we confess our need for God and we're healed by Christ and we're fed and then we're sent out into the world as God's people. This is essentially the way the church has worshiped for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And it even finds its roots going back into, uh, into Judaism. And so it's really only in the past 40 or 50 years in the modern West and probably um, taken to an extreme in the United States that we feel like worship is just simply a hodgepodge of whatever we want to sort of do and attach God's name to it. And that's all good. And, um, the way that we encounter God should be enlivened and fresh, and it should be um, particular to our place and our context, but there's something much broader that's happening. And what's, what we're doing here uh, fundamentally actually isn't really about what we're doing here, because what's happening here is fundamentally about what God is doing. And so that means that um, if we're just trained in sort of modernity's story of hyper-individualism and consumerism, then it means that most of the ways we'll be trained to think about worship will be wrong. Because in hyper-individualism and consumerism, I'm the central character of the story. But in worship, 
God is the central character of the story. When I, um, it, it probably was, I'm going to say maybe 16, 17 years ago, maybe almost 20 years ago. So I didn't grow up in a church that um, used language like liturgy. And I didn't grow up in a church that purposely formed uh, the way of worship as um, quite as we do. But there still was a liturgy. I mean, there was definitely a form that was followed. It, it was just that I don't, I don't know that, that we thought through it all that much. But, it, but there were definitely was a form. And as I started in my, my life as a pastor, I, I sort of went through several iterations of church world, denominational world, that sort of thing. And what was happening in my own heart was uh, the time was I was having a crisis of faith. I um, was starting to have big questions about things that had been handed to me. And what I found in my own story is that the way I had thought about worship was that it was my job to come to church on Sunday morning and to somehow feel something about God. And so when I came Sunday after Sunday and what I mostly felt was darkness <laughs> or what I mostly felt was questions, um, I had a real problem. And then all of a sudden I encountered the, um, the historic church and the long way that Christians have worshipped over centuries, and I started understanding what worship was and what liturgy was. And I can't tell you how relieving it was to me to all of a sudden realize that when I walked into worship on Sunday morning, it wasn't my job to hold God up. It wasn't my job to hold worship up. That when I came, I was joining a story that God had been telling from the beginning of creation and was going to tell to the final end, and worship held me up. And so I think it's actually our hope, because we're a whole people, that every part of us would be touched in worship, our mind, our heart, our emotions. But worship doesn't depend on any of it. If you come to worship and you don't learn anything in your mind that you didn't know before, it doesn't mean you haven't worshipped. And if you come to worship and you don't feel anything, you know, that whatever that, that energy is of God's presence and you don't feel it, it doesn't mean you haven't worshipped. And when you come to worship and if your heart feels limp, it doesn't feel enlivened. We hope for more and our prayer is that over time that, that something is renewed in your heart, but the fact is the worship sustains us through all of these cycles and seasons of our life. And for me, that is immensely relieving. And all of a sudden, it turns all of the pressure away from me and toward God. And all of a sudden, worship becomes grace again. It's a gift that's given to me. I come, I receive it, I am fed by God, I am sent out by God into, the, God into God's world, and that is true. That has happened. It is what I experienced, and we, we take that in faith. And whether or not I actually feel it is massively secondary. So what we're doing here is first about what God is doing. And what God is doing and what God has been doing from the beginning is forming a visible people in the world. Do you wonder often, I mean, I hear the question all the time, so I'm assuming a lot of us here uh, have this question, like, wh like, why is this important? Like, why is 
our public worship in a gathered community. Why is that important? It's because from the very beginning, God has been forming a visible community in the world, not satellite individuals who are doing their own attempts at hearing God and being together in the world. The first community was Adam and Eve, and that didn't go so well. And God called forth Israel, and now God has called forth the church to join in the same long community of faith. And what God is always doing is forming communities. And that's why God can tell us something so um, stark that we as the gathered people of God actually are in some beautiful, strange, and mysterious way, we are the body of Christ. That we are participating in and gathered by the Holy Spirit into a community in such a way that we actually are a portion of God's presence in the world. And the way that God's people have always been formed since the resurrection is by this constant and steady practice of coming together to rehearse and to re-enter the story of Christ. And so it's exactly what we said after our call to worship this morning, that as we come here to, together, we are reenacting the story of Jesus that will end at the table, or it doesn't actually end the table, its pinnacle moment is the table, where we are fed again by Christ, and we hear these words that Jesus Christ is actually present here with us and feeding us. And then we are renewed in Christ, who is our life. We feed on God, just like Adam and Eve needed to be fed by God, just like Israel in the wilderness with manna falling down from the sky needed to be fed by God. We are here with our brothers and sisters across history and time, and we need to be fed by God again and renewed. And then, fed by God, we are sent out into the world. So, I want to say something, and I don't... I hope I, I, hope I, can, I can say this clearly. I'm not sure I can. There is a very um, prevalent theme that I encounter in the world that I think I've propagated... I look back over my sermons over the past 20 years, and I have definitely propagated this idea in some ways. The idea is that the church really only has value if we can demonstrate some kind of practical or utilitarian purpose that we have accomplished. In other words, unless we can show how we are doing really good religious instruction, or we are the bulwark for upholding cultural values, or we are the place that is building community and relationships. Or we are the force for social justice. It's only, we only have our true value and meaning if we can point to one of these ends that we've accomplished. And the church, bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence with us and our call to live in the world, should absolutely bear all these fruits. But none of those things are our reason for existing. Our reason for existing is that God has called a people to be together in the world who are inhabited by the very presence of Christ. And by our very existence in the world, we bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
and we model and live a new kind of community in the world that is a distinct kingdom from every other kingdom that exists. And that reality is why it is so egregious when the church falls so fall short of those hopes and our calling and our name and our identity. It's why when the church is a place of abuse or a place that is not gathering and protecting the weak, whenever the church is a place of fear or shame instead of a place of light and, and holiness and hope, it's why it is so egregious because we are abandoning our very identity. The church exists because Jesus has chosen the church to be his visible presence in the world, the body of Christ. So what we're doing here, everything that we're doing here, we're being gathered back again into what it truly means to be human, because to be human is to receive life from God. And we're being gathered again into the true story of the world. That's what liturgy is. And this is what we're doing together. And so after we have a sermon, we, uh, we pray one of the creeds. We pray usually the Apostles' Creed or the Ionian Creed. We could also pray the Nicene Creed, which we should. A few times, particularly around Eastertide, we, we pray the Maasai Creed from East Africa. One reason why I love the Nicene Creed, I wish we prayed that more, is because instead of the Apostles' Creed begins with I believe, the uh, Nicene Creed begins with we believe. And I think that's really what we're saying in the creed. We're saying this is what we believe. And this is another moment where I think we can actually be relieved of some pressure. The question that's being asked when we ask you to pray the creed is not um, at this moment, you know, at 1025 on September 22nd, in this existential reality that you're experiencing, do you believe every point of this? Now, I hope that you do. And I will say that uh, I hope that none of us pray the creed with our sort of our fingers crossed behind our back. Like this is, this is truth. But, but the beauty is um, you're actually not being asked in this existential moment, is this your personal belief? What you're being asked to do is with the church across millennia, do you confess this story? It's a way that the story holds us rather than we holding it. And then we move and we pray prayers to the people. We pray for the church. We pray for the world. We pray on a, on a weekly cycle, praying through all the neighborhoods of our city and in the counties that surround us. We pray for our shalom partners on a cycle. And as we pray those prayers, we're doing that at this moment because what we're saying is we want to bring our prayers to the table together. We want to bring our prayers to Jesus because Jesus is the one who can help us. Jesus is the one who can heal us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.